Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi everyone, my name is Lennart Den Hollander. I'm the Vice President and General Manager of Northern Europe at Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners. So what is Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners? We are the biggest Coca-Cola bottler in the world. And in simple terms, what we do, we make the product, we move it to our customers where we sell it. So we basically deliver anywhere you possibly would would or could take a soft drink. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series and over to you, Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed, Leonard. It's really good to have you on this series. I saw you in person when I was doing an event at uh, Coca-Cola Partners. Um, uh, it was a big event, actually. You had about 60 of your leaders all there. We were doing the sort of creating conversations and inspirational stuff, and you came and spoke. And, and I did find you very inspiring at the time. And I, I put a little marker down to myself that when, when I write the next book and when I do the podcast, I want you in it. And the next book is going to be in about a year's time. I'm going to start writing it this summer. It's CEOs and Teams Inspiring Leadership. And there's the 200 episodes of which you're going to be one of them will be the best CEOs and leaders will be in there. So lovely to have you on the series. Let's talk about you. your current role, um, what it actually involves. And then we'll go back and talk about your upbringing and uh, your early life that shaped you into the inspiring leader you are today. Good. Well, the, in my current role, uh, so Coca-Cola Europe Pacific Partners, as, as I mentioned, that's the bottling, uh, the bottling side of Coca-Cola. Uh, we're an independent company uh, from the Coca-Cola company, uh, and as I said, the, the fundamentally what we do is um, we make uh, we make all of all of those great brands, all of those great drinks. Uh, we make sure that they they make their way to a corner shop, uh, to a bar, a restaurant, an airline, or, or a big supermarket, anywhere you could possibly buy a a, a soft drink, um, and that's the selling part of our of our of our job. Uh, in my role, I joined about seven years ago. Uh, for the first six, uh, I was the uh, general manager, vice president, general manager for uh, Great Britain. Uh, did it with a lot of uh, with a lot of uh, fun uh, and, and lo- lo- had a good time. And since about a year now, that extended into uh, Northern Europe. Uh, and fundamentally, uh, that means that um, I work with the country teams uh, in uh, in the Benelux uh, and in the Nordics, uh, and uh, working with them as good as we possibly can to make sure those uh, drinks are available uh, in as many places uh, we can get them into so people can enjoy them where and wherever they want. Fantastic. And and the place you got to to now, you've done some fascinating jobs over the years. If, if I'm just looking back very briefly, 16 years in Procter & Gamble, where, where you were a marketing director, one of the good roles. Findus Group, you were managing director, Seafoods, Young Seafoods. Uh, you were the CEO in Grimsby. Uh, Grimsby. You were the president of IGD, which was an education and training organization. And just very recently, you've also been the president of British Soft Drinks. Um, that's a great collection of different experiences. What's been the thread that sort of runs through all those different jobs? Well, I, th- I think that you can make a distinction in those, those jobs in two ways. One, one are more kind of the executive jobs. And, and I think I started indeed at Procter & Gamble in the Netherlands uh, years ago, early 90s that was. Um, a really good training ground, fantastic uh, education when it comes to marketing, marketing and sales. And then with Procter & Gamble, I was able 
uh, to work across Belgium and the Netherlands uh, and then moved to Geneva, uh, where I spent also quite a few years moving from local to regional into global roles. Fantastic. Uh, and then from there, uh, actually moved into uh, something completely different. Uh, most likely there was a time I was uh, kind of considering what, what could be next uh, and, and uh, decided that actually a, a different uh, type of company still in consumer goods. I've always been fascinated with consumer goods and I still am and most likely will never, that will never stop. But then I moved into, uh, into a, a business that was backed by private equity, uh, did that for about five years and, uh, and then moved into Coca-Cola. Um, so the, the threat is, is clearly um, consumer goods uh, in companies that are on the move uh, and what I've really enjoyed doing and I did it from an early stage is, is having this international aspect uh, to, to the business. Uh, two other roles that you mentioned, uh, like the like IGD, a fantastic charity uh, in, in the UK, as well as the British Soft Drinks Association, they were more linked to kind of the role that I had in the, that I could play in the industry. And I think that that's also very important if you are in an executive position and you have to, uh, you can make the time uh, you should make the time uh, then for uh, for also making making part and being part of a, the wider industry because quite a few things that we're dealing with uh, take more people, take more companies, come together and try to improve things. Uh, like for instance, an IGD uh, making sure that more uh, more people had uh, had access to, uh, to kind of the world of work, at least understanding what the world of working in food and drink uh, would be like. Or in the food in the, in the British Soft Drinks Association would be uh, all around what are some of the um, bigger topics, uh, maybe societal challenges uh, that also we can play our part in. So I have always seen that there's a there's a bigger bigger part than just uh, the executive role. There's also what role can you play in the wider uh, the wider industry? Yeah, it's, it's been fascinating what you've done, and and I am really interested in what in how the soft drinks industry has adapted to what society wants and thinks. I I read a lot around the microbiome, health and wellness. Um, I do intermittent fasting, things like that. And, and so how do we get the drinks that we have less sugar, but still good for us? You know, you know so it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And I know you're always trying to think of, of ways to improve. Thinking about you growing up, um, I, I don't know where you grew up and, and I know everybody would love to hear. So who shaped you as you were growing up as a, as a, young, as a young boy? And what kind of events gave you the thrill and the wish to, to be a leader, to become an executive and to, to make a contribution through charities and societies to, to bigger things than just yourself. Yeah, I think I grew up in the Netherlands uh, in a relatively small village uh, in, the middle of, in the middle of the Netherlands. Um, I had a great, a great childhood, I have to say, um, uh, from, from every angle you look at, you look at it. Uh, and I think uh, there's a few things that obviously during my childhood I, I came across. Uh, my father um, was in a business that he co-owned with seven other people. Um, then my mother was very active uh, in, in, in terms of volunteering. Um, and, and I think there was a very, uh, very much focused on family uh, in there. They, uh, especially my father came out of a big family. Uh, and I've also seen kind of uh, how, how kind of uh, connected uh, he has been with his family. So obviously from, from that upbringing, um, which was very, very comfortable, and I'm very lucky uh, and actually grateful uh, of that upbringing. And there's a few things that I took took on, uh, and just play your part, take initiatives where where you can, um, and and grab chances. Uh, and and my my parents have given me uh, multiple chances to do things uh, like like study abroad uh, in, kind of my, in my in my during my studies, and those are all opportunities 
um, that that might come to you, but then also you need to be a, you need to be given the opportunity, uh, and people allow you to take the opportunity. And I'm very grateful that uh, that I've had those opportunities. Uh, interestingly, uh, I was talking about consumer goods uh, just before. Um, I actually one of my first jobs we had uh, there was home delivery uh, in the in the in the 70s, right? Uh, there was like the, the milkman, but then the reinvented uh, coming coming by door by door to uh, kind of sell groceries. Uh, and actually, I enjoyed it so much that I think from the age of ten, uh, I was on that uh, on that uh, grocery truck uh, selling, selling, and maybe that's where I had my fascination. <laughs> that's a great story, and and I love it. I do, I do think that um, as it say, give me the boy age ten, and I'll 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 create the man for you. I think it's the Jesuits always said that they try and influence you earlier. And I think um, people who are entrepreneur, entrepreneurial or who leaders, they, they've had some experience early on. You and I were. We're joking about about my own experience when I was at school and uh, my father was killed when I was uh, two and a half. He was a fast jet pilot. Um, and so therefore other other father figures from friends at school were quite important to me. And one was Chris Coleman, who had a farm in Bridlington in, in Yorkshire. And at about 12, he'd, he'd trust me to drive a car on his farm, to to drive tractors. And he believed I could do things. And as, as one guy who was at Walmart said to me, uh, a, a former colonel in the army, uh, who was really inspirational, he said, whatever my boss believes I can do, I can do. And, and it's just to remember that, that your belief in people, Chris's belief in me, gives people a lot of inspiration. And I'm sure even doing that round with the milk and the groceries, that the fact that chap would trust you to go and do certain things gave you that confidence at quite an early age is that absolutely fair? absolutely i think i think that's fair i think it's fair and also in in, in a funny way it, it was like more kind of play, playful right but it also allows you to just work a bit and understand understand how things work but indeed the the owner of the truck he had actually a few trucks uh, but but he would he would give me opportunities uh, to to just uh, learn a bit more how things really operate uh, and it was yeah. quite nice obviously at the time you don't realize that at the time you're just going going with the flow and you're just on the truck and enjoying it uh, and do a bit of joyriding at the time uh, but but i think uh, you reflect on it and said it's actually quite nice that this that this man gave me an opportunity to just work out a few things right uh, just be behind the, the cashier or kind of uh, do the replenishment of the shelves uh, or get get some of the uh, get some of the uh, the, the products that, that that were coming from suppliers get them in and get them stored get them stored in racks i mean all small things at the time but you could argue it was actually quite nice uh, and mm. a nice nice experience i don't think it has formed me for life but it clearly uh, was something that i really enjoyed doing and i did it every day yeah uh, it's great and and talking about that and your whole life looking back now what what has been one of the happiest or proudest moments in your life thus far? And um, what about a, a dark moment, uh, which was really quite sad for you and a tough one, mm. but what you mm. learned from both of those and how they shaped you as a leader? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very fair to say, Jonathan, that I don't typically think about dark moments and proud moments, but that, that's 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 not, not necessarily how I, I would go about things. Um, I think things come as they uh, as, as they go, and there's there's so many events in life, and some of them are very enjoyable and some are very sad i think the, the i have to say i'm very lucky uh, and grateful for what i have and i've um, I've, I've still as an example um, i'm married with karen my wife and and um, all our parents still uh, are alive that that's just an indication on, on how lucky how lucky we are but if i would call out one of the things that i've really enjoyed and still i'm enjoying is that um, from an early stage uh, of a family um, i have my wife karen and we have three kids 20 18 and 15 
um, we started to travel quite uh, quite uh, quite soon and having the opportunity to with a unit of five move from one country to another and for me move from one job to another uh, actually was quite rich uh, and i think if there would be one moment that would kind of be kind of a red line through uh, through what i really enjoyed is is that uh, moving from one place to another uh, and, and and making it and, and making it work uh, all together and it shows you that that unit of five as we call it is is very is very important has has been important and we're now in a situation actually that the unit is becoming smaller because uh, the two boys have moved out of the house yes it's that special stage um lee my wife and i we have four and um they're 26 to 29 and so we've now got grandchildren starting to arrive and they're all getting married and they've They've all got their own homes now. And it's a different phase. It's a different phase of life. Um, and and while it might not be a dark uh, stage of life, is there in your, I'm sure there's many, but is the one that you'd pick out in your business experience where something that you really hoped was going to work out and you really put a lot of effort into it and it didn't work out, but it did teach you something? Would you say from, uh, from a lesson that you learned? I wouldn't even call it a failure. Just a, I think people call about it a teachable moment. So something didn't work out as you thought, and people uh, were a bit disappointed with it, but you learned something from it and you recovered from it. Yeah, I think that in that sense, there's there's, mul- there's multiple examples, right? And I think that's just a business, business related. Uh, there are there are clearly decisions that you take uh, that, that, that don't work out well, uh, or there are uh, plans you put in a market, for instance, the introduction of a new a new product of a new brand that you have high hopes on, and maybe you're kind of naively a bit too positive about it, and then it then it doesn't then it doesn't really come your way, or it doesn't work the way it was planned. And I think mo- most of those things come down to whether you have an ability to plan for things, and that that's that's uh, that's one of the, the key learnings. I've come across is that the proper planning prevents poor performance. Uh, that's that's I think a great a great saying. Uh, so if you have the ability to plan, it doesn't have to be always a lengthy planning process. But if you can think through uh, what you what you aim for and, and kind of what are the specifics and what you need to get there, I think is really important. So that's one of the takeaways is that when you can and if you can uh, plan plan for what you what you aim for. Yeah, and, and you, you remind me of General Eisenhower before D Day. Uh, the, the biggest invasion in the world. Uh, and and he, his quote was, plans are useless, but planning is essential. But the plans themselves don't last very long. And I think it was General von Molk, the senior, uh, before he swung his forces in the Schlieffen plan through the Netherlands and Belgium, um, he said, uh, no plan survives the first meeting with the enemy. Uh, and, and it might not be the enemy in business, mm-hmm. but no plan survives mm-hmm. the first meeting with another another rival product uh, or a competitor yeah. because things things change. Okay, that's great. And then what about um, your experience as a young man, age 16, before you sort of started to do some of these, these big jobs, knowing what you know now, and I won't ask you your age, but if you want to tell people you can, but knowing what you know now at, at this stage of your life, what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? This matters don't worry about that. So people listening who've got sons at that age can go, and I know your youngest is 15, so they're coming up to that stage. What bit of advice would you give to your young self about what matters and what doesn't in your own, for what was important to you? Well, I think it's, 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 it's easier said than done. I acknowledge that. But, but it would be be yourself um, and, and, and just be, be believe in yourself, develop yourself know about yourself uh, and be comfortable with it. I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing, um, especially at a young age. There's so many 
external factors playing a role in how you feel about life. And, and uh, we all are our own unique uh, individuals uh, with, the, with the good things and, and, and the bad traits as well. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's okay. So this whole notion of try to be yourself, try to have your own reflections, your own judgments, how difficult it is, especially at a younger age. But I think that's the most important thing because the more you can be yourself, the more authentic you will be over time. Uh, and, and I think the more, more you will enjoy it um, mm. and rather than trying to be someone else, uh, even if that's not uh, intentionally, uh, but that could be driven by external factors. Yeah, it, it's so true. And when I think back to when I was 16, I really was still trying to find myself, understand what I believed in, thinking that following others and their trends was the right thing to do because you feeling so unsure of what goes on it's quite interesting and uh was it um be yourself everybody else is taken i think oscar Wilde was saying you know, mm -hmm. it, it is yeah. important to be yourself let's go around the inspiring leadership compass this research that lee my wife and i did into what makes high performing individuals and teams uh, and the first bit with the the point of the compass is true north mq moral yep. quotient what what for works for you Leonard, that that is your sort of top three foundational values the principles that you'll live by that what you will and that you won't do what would you share that really has helped you i might have four is that okay uh, so four four is good I'll see whether i can remember them when i uh, when i make it up i think this this it starts with transparency and trust um and i think one leads to another but um, but i really uh, try wherever I can drive transparency uh, and that's transparency in the way you feel transparency in the way you say things but uh, create an environment where people can say what's on their mind uh, whether that's good or bad and say it in their say it in their own way because I think that that level of transparency that open environment creates a level of trust and when trust is there uh, lots of things can happen so that would be my first around transparency and trust most likely the second one would be, and that's we talked a bit about uh, moving, moving around and kind of uh, getting exposed to different different cultures. Uh, would be around respect and openness, um, mm -hmm. respecting um, differences, um, respecting that people might not be like you. That sounds very obvious, but sometimes it's not that obvious at all. Um, but also respecting different cultures and different backgrounds and different experiences. Um, and that's the only way, especially in our case, when if you move from one country to another, yeah, we have to adapt, right? It's not that we expect a country to adapt to us. We have to adapt. And you can only do that when you respect and, and make an effort to understand uh, what, what, um, what, for instance, the culture is all, all about. And that openness as well. Don't be closed and, and try to be open. I've, I've learned when you're open up to people, people are very open to you. And that, mm. that helps a lot. Um, I think, um, and then on the on, on the third, um, will be uh, it's really around um, around the sense of, of of collaboration and commitment. Um, you can't do it alone. Uh, call it teamwork, but you never can do it alone. You're never bigger than a team. Uh, you can really inspire a team, and you can make great things happen. But it's always together. Um, but I think it's also important that when you work in a team, there's a commitment. Uh, there's a commitment to what the team is aiming to do. Uh, there's a commitment to one another, and and I really find it important. Um, and last but not least, is, I think it's the whole notion of curiosity um, and the, the constantly of asking why uh, and, and what's happening, but why is it happening? Uh, and, and is there other ways that things can happen? Um, and that could be in, in kind of in, in private life, that could be in, in business as well. Most likely the biggest, uh, not the biggest, but the, the, the kind of the questions I repeatedly ask is what's happening? Why? And what's next on the basis of that? And, and that, that simple three questions 
um, force you to take away, go away from just the context and move into why things are happening and what you actually can do with it. Yeah, I love that. What's happening? Why? And what next? Exactly. And that, that's that curiosity then can lead to growth. Because it's only if you go through the, those three questions, what's happening, why, and what's next, that you can actually identify and therefore where's the growth. Really good. Which takes us beautifully on to the next of the eight components, which is PQ, meaning and purpose, why you do what you do. And I think unless people are clear on the purpose and the why, then there's a lot of confusion and, and things can go anywhere. And I think it was uh, in Man's Search for Meaning, where I look on my bookshelf here, by Viktor Frankl. He who has a clear burning why can cope with any what or how, which I think he took from Goethe, mm -hmm. the philosopher, this idea of you've got to have a why. And if your people don't know why they're doing what they're doing, they often get very demoralized. But yeah. why, do, why do you do what you do? What's, what's your calling? What's your purpose in life? <clears throat> it's a really good, really good question. Uh, and obviously, I think that uh, that's an uh, ongoing journey right? mm -hmm. uh, and, and a bit of an adventure as well. But interestingly, I spend a lot of the time, especially at Procter & Gamble, where we work brand equity, right? And what does a brand stand for and, and why and how is it different from, from maybe other brands? And therefore, how could you drive consumer preference for the brand that you're working on as opposed to competition? I went to do an exercise at some point uh, where people said, okay, what, what, what do you think about legacy? What do you think about purpose? Uh, and then said, it, it can only be six words. Uh, and I came up with something a few, a few years ago and, and I still go by it. Uh, and it's like, positive impact in everything I do. And that mm. should be six words. Um, and I think that's, that's it, it, you could argue it's quite generic, but it applies to everything, all, all roles. Uh, my roles as a, as a partner, my role as a father, my role as a friend, uh, as, a, uh, as a son, uh, and obviously clearly also in business. But I think that, that's what inspires me. Can I have a, a positive impact uh, on the things that I do? I love that. And I think that I, I probably want that on my gravestone, positive impact in everything I do. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that ties together beautifully purpose and legacy and this idea of stewardship, which we can touch on, that you leave things better than you found them, whether it be mm -hmm. children, because you don't own mm -hmm. your children. They're just passing through and, 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 and you've got to make sure that you give them the resources and the personal skills so that they can at least cope with whatever life throws at them. Um, that's, that's great. Thank you for that. The, the third is health quotient. And uh, in year three now of the pandemic, and um, of course, uh, everybody, as we discussed earlier, is interested in making sure that their lifespan matches their health span or their health span matches their lifespan. And that, that we are eating good food and we're drinking drinks which are good for us and our gut microbiome and our health and well-being. What do you do personally to look after your physical health and your mental mm -hmm. health? What, what are your, mm -hmm. your, your habits that you have, Linda? Most likely those habits have evolved also over the last, over the last few years. Um, but, but the first thing is really, um, I think I'm better um, or more disciplined when it comes to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I wake, tend to wake up quite early, um, very early. Um, and um, that means I have to go to bed earlier uh, to just still put the hours in. And uh, I thought I could get away with five hours easily. Uh, and still in many occasions, that's the case. But I know that if I just make an effort to sleep better, I feel better. Um, and I think the link to that is also eat, uh, eat better or at least look after what I eat a bit more. Uh, and I think that, that, that the whole notion of sleep and eat well, I think, has to be, has to be the starting point. 
And, and one of the things that I started to do when it comes to exercise um, is, is that um, I started that uh, when we all had to work from home, uh, or at least those people that could work from home were, were working from home, uh, and I was, I was one of them, is that they break away from the screen, right, um, if, as much as you can, uh, because that was really the break that I needed in the day. And what I started to do um, is to do a daily walk, uh, and that's an, an hour every day, uh, and I haven't stopped doing that. Um, sometimes it's less than an hour, but I try to make up the next day. And it's a really nice way to just have a nice, nice walk for an hour um, in, in, the, in the area or wherever you are, but finding, finding a way uh, to just be outside uh, for, for about an hour. And you can take different things. You can make phone calls. Uh, you can listen to music. Uh, you can not listen to anything and just walk. Uh, but I find it quite, quite good and now actively plan time for that in my diary. Um, so that's an hour that I, uh, I will be walking. I could do a business phone call during my walk. There's no issue about it, but at least I know I'm in a different, uh, in a different area. And even now, I'm traveling quite a bit again. Uh, I try to find a moment uh, to still have that, have that daily, have that daily walk. And the last thing, also, it is more like a, from a mental perspective, also to just continue to think you you really enjoy. And I really enjoying having uh, having dinner with friends. Uh, and and that's that's something that um, now we can uh, also plan a bit more actively, and I really enjoy that. Uh, that that's one of the things that that most likely I look forward to a lot uh, after a week of work. Uh, you just have a, have a have a weekend to look forward to, um, and and spend some time with family and friends, and and have a uh, have a glass, and most likely uh, some food as well. That that's really good, and and I resonate with that. I mean, I think uh, habit stacking, positive habit stacking, are things you do. Um, I'm wearing. You can see on the on the video here this um, aura ring O U R A, which records my sleep from the previous night, different levels of sleep. It records my readiness for the next day based on my sleep and the activity I done the day before. And also the third thing is my activity, what exercises I do, like walking the the dog who's lying on the sofa behind me. He gets uh, mm -hmm. two good walks a day. And and I right. I, I just earlier today had a lovely. Um, coaching session with another CEO and we were both walking so she was walking and she rang me and we had a fantastic she said one of her best thinking sessions because she was walking mm. and the research mm. goes into when leaders are out walking they think better and certainly if they can mm. be in a forest uh, the Japanese are into forest bathing but you're exactly right mm. so I'm really pleased you're doing a walking meeting and we will we'll have one of those you and I later on we'll have a walking session together um, <laughs> And then, yes, eating eating whole food, which is always better for us, real food, whenever you can. And on the question of, of, of health, because, you know, many people are always interested in this, you know, Coca-Cola's done so much over the years supporting sport mm. and, and um, World Cups and things like that. But, but what is the, tre the tendency and the trend to get away from too much sugar, which we now, it's quite strong uh, evidence that too much sugar is not good for you, spoon after spoon of sugar in, in a drink, and also processed foods. What what are you seeing in the way that products are moving to become healthier for people? Well, I think that there there's, there's, has been a long-standing trend, right? And and we call it to offer the choice. I believe, let's not forget, for some people, sugar is the energy uh, they 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 want to want to take, and not just the enjoyment uh, of, of of the drink. Uh, and it was in 1983, as an example, that Diet Coke was launched in the UK, well before any discussion around uh, around health and obesity. Uh, but as obviously uh, our company as well, uh, we're in the midst uh, in the in the midst of that debate, and it's an important debate to have. And for us, it's all about the balance and offering the choice. And so, if you think about our portfolio and how it's evolved, 
Um, now all of our brands uh, have a low or no calorie variant. Uh, there's a very wide portfolio of, of, of brands. Uh, so we offer uh, whatever consumers feel uh, suits them. And I think that's the, that's the whole notion. We believe that we should edit choice. We believe we should offer the choice to consumers, but it's all around balance. Yeah, and it is, of course, everybody's quite different. I'm getting in touch with a firm called Zoe, which um, backs this intermittent fasting I do on an app called Zero. So I do 16 hours of fasting and then eight hours of eating. And, and of course, my gut microbiome is different from yours and different to my wife and so on. So I'm looking forward to when Zoe gives me the, the test kit to actually work out what's best for my gut uh, and what I will put into it and things like that. So I think progress is moving at incredible pace around this whole area of health and wellness. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, um, EQ is next. Uh, emotional and social intelligence. Um, I, I found and people spoke about this in uh, Coca-Cola uh, Europe Pacific partners. They, they, they all said you had this lovely way of connecting with people. What, what's been a top tip you'd give to people that you fans work for how you connect with people that they might go? That's quite useful. I'll try that myself. Yeah, and, and I try to go by this, uh, the whole principle of connected leadership. Uh, I, I really believe that that's the case, that connecting internally, but it's also connecting externally. But if I, if I take it internally, it's really connecting across different functions, across locations, uh, across, um, across levels. And I think that's, that's really important. And what I already, I enjoy many things, but what I enjoy a lot is also what I call skip a level conversations. So mm -hmm. not just talk to your direct reports, but talk to the level below. And not to talk about their manager, uh, but just talk about what's on their mind. Uh, what do they, as we call it, what's your little voice? What are the things that... Uh, what's that what's, your, what's you your little voice? What's your, li what's your little voice? What's on the back of your mind? Yeah. And bring it, bring it to the forefront. That's a big thing. Uh, that that we that we trying driving in our in our company make those little voices and make them make them uh, heard, uh, and I think it's really important to just get a sense of what's going on, and a sense of what's going what's working and what's not. Uh, back to my earlier point around transparency, it's really important to to kind of have that conversation. You have to instigate the conversation. Uh, and I think once people are comfortable that this is not like a a business conversation or a conversation about the manager, but really to just get a sense of. What, what's good, what's not good, what can be done better. And I think that that, that I really enjoy. And, and the other thing which I've enjoyed as well over the last few years is uh, the whole uh, concept of reverse mentoring. Um, very, very, very good to, to just talk, uh, talk to someone who can give you a bit of advice or at least can you ask questions, can ask you questions in a certain way that makes you think. Uh, and I've really, uh, I've really enjoyed that um, with, um, with Frank, uh, who is uh, my reverse mentor and, um, and he's a production leader in, in one of our factories. Yeah, it, it, reverse mentoring is a really brilliant thing. And uh, and with the CEOs and the boards and teams that Lee and I work with, um, we always encourage them to pick someone probably in their 20s who can be a mentee to them, but also reverse mentor them and maybe attend some of their mm -hmm. meetings and go, mm -hmm. what do you think of that? And you go, well, it's great, but you guys haven't even mentioned the customer throughout the whole of that two-hour meeting. The customer never got yeah. mentioned one. Oh, God, are we really doing that? Yes, right. you are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I think they call out that the emperor has no clothes. And I think you can get so, like fish go, you know, what's water? Because they've been in it so long. They, they get mm. so used to it. And it takes someone else to say the emperor's got no clothes. You know, what, what yeah. are you guys doing? I think that's really great that you do that. And I, I do like that. What's your little voice? And other leaders would go, like, if you were doing my role, if there was one thing you could do to, 
to improve it in a year, what one thing would you do to make it make it better? Or mm. in, in the job you do, what's the one thing, if I could do something for you that would unblock things are getting in the way of you doing the best job you could do, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, well, well yeah. no one's talking with, you know, production and they, they don't understand that we can't do this. Okay, let me look into yeah. it. But you've always got well, to look into it. You've just, got to do it. Just, you've got to do it. Yeah, just to build on that, John, one of the things that I find very powerful that also uh, next to the concept of the little horse to just keep talking and just make sure that everyone can say what's on their mind to whomever. Um, but there's also this idea, turn a question into a request. Um, and I think that's also something that's quite powerful. We are pretty good all together to just ask the right, ask questions, whether they're right or not is a different matter. Um, but let's assume, let's assume they are. But what's, what's a specific request? And come forward with requests as much as you can. And, and then move, move it from a question to a request. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Mm, I, I love that. And, and then the final thought that you've triggered um, that I, I used a lot when I was a managing director, but others have, is this idea of when you're with people, skip a skip level, tell me a little bit about your life story, you know, in five minutes, mm. just, just tell mm. me a bit about yourself. Why do you work here? Yep. What, what brings you to work, you know? And, yep. and it, it's really interesting when people feel seen and heard by someone the skip level above them, very powerful for their, for their motivation and their productivity. Mm. Thank you. Um, and that leads on also nicely to a cultural intelligence quotient, CQ as we call it, this, this, this idea of collective, of uh, getting diverse people who are inclusive, and there's more yep. equality these days than there used to be. What's your tip about um, cultural intelligence and, and how you encourage more diversity and inclusion? Well, the, the, I think through, through uh, kind of my, uh, my, the last uh, 20 odd years, uh, clearly having, having been able to, to live in different countries and work in different companies um, gives you a sense of, of kind of cultures um, and not just cultures across countries. Uh, but also even cultures within countries. Uh, and I think that that uh, uh, you also learn from that, at least I learned from that, that when you are um, moving into in a country that's not your home country, uh, then clearly you have to adapt uh, and you have to adopt. Uh, I think you kind of learn um, sometimes uh, sometimes more, it's more easier and sometimes it's a, maybe a bit more bit more challenging. Uh, but I have to say, I mean, we've lived um, uh, mostly across Europe and, and um, the, you could argue uh, that Europe is, 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 is developed and, and is uh, typically uh, well, well organized. So the diversity is relative, but at least uh, it allows you to just uh, meet different cultures and, and try to understand a bit more where people are coming from and, and how actually a country culture impacts the way people might think in business as well. Because that's one of the things that I, I sense is that a country culture is always more dominant than a company culture. Uh, and and that, that's kind of that's logical because a country culture uh, has been developed over over decades or over centuries. Uh, and for some companies, that's true as well, but not for all. Um, so I think that's just something to acknowledge that culture does play a big role and, and that indeed there is diversity and you need to drive that. But in order to bring it to life, see, we talk a lot about, and rightfully so, about inclusion and diversity um, and, and, and what, it all, what it all means. Uh, I think from, from our perspective, what I found was our biggest learning is when we started to move uh, our uh, work on diversity and inclusion uh, to inclusion and diversity. Uh, so starting with an inclusive culture. Um, uh, because that drives uh, also diversity. Obviously, it also works vice versa, but you can't drive diversity in a non-inclusive culture. So our focus has really gone on an inclusive culture. But what I find very um, powerful is that what we learned is that you need to think about how such a culture or a culture that you would like to achieve manifests itself on a daily basis. How does it feel? 
to work in, in a company uh, where that's so important. And we then moved from uh, moving it, talking about a strategy to a philosophy. And there's a subtle difference between a strategy and a philosophy. A strategy you can still disagree with. Right? A philosophy you can't disagree with because it's the way we would like to do things. So the only thing you can do is opt out. Uh, and that you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to do. So when we started to evolve our, uh, our, our R&D philosophy, we made it very tangible. And we said, everyone's welcome to be themselves, to be, val to be valued and have a sense of belonging. Uh, we call it the three Bs, be yourself, be valued and, and belong. And I think that was very powerful because articulating the philosophy and make it more tangible, allowed the conversation to happen. And then you can also come across the things that don't work. And you said, you said, be yourself, be valued. And belong. Belong. Yeah, I love that. And, and you've got a, one of the things that I always say about inspiring leaders, they have humility, which is a very important part of your life and, and all that you stand for. Humanity, that almost like this, be yourself, be valued and belong. But then humor. Now, mm -hmm. The lovely thing, obviously, with my American friends is we, and I've got some American relations, we often misunderstand each other. They always say we're like we're, we're two different nations divided by a common language. But but when you're working with people in Belgium and Holland and, and Norway, Sweden, Finland and, and, and Denmark, what do you find on the humorous side where there's misunderstandings between how things are done and the way we laugh at each other, not in a nasty way, which is excluding, but actually brings bonding together. Can you think of any occasions when you've had a good laugh together at different yeah. ways? Well, we try, to, try, to, try to have a laugh every day. Um, but but now when, when it comes to, I think it's the culture. I think in, in, in many ways, uh, the, 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 what we laugh about is the stereotypes because stereotypes get confirmed quite often. Uh, right on, on kind of how countries go about how countries go about things uh, or kind of we all know that if you move into a country you get this nice booklet the introduction to the culture oh, yeah. and this whole notion of this is what people say this is what i mean right and that, that's that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's nice to, to, to kind of laugh about yeah um, the, the brits and, we're not very that, good that, that, at that, meaning well, what that, we that say list, are we <laughs> that less than great britain is a bit is a bit bigger than maybe in other countries uh, but but i think that, that that's actually the thing that actually you have a conversation and you go back to all right you this is what you're saying. This is what it could mean, um, and and that's 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 just one example on, on how different countries um, have a have a different uh, have a different um, way of, of going about things. And that just uh, when you recognize that altogether, it's actually nice yeah. uh, if you do it in a in a friendly uh, friendly way. Yeah, I remember when I did my MBA, uh, my exec MBA. Um, we always studied a guy called Gert Hofstadter, and I think I think he's Dutch. But anyway, he talked about different cultures, and you know. Levels, yeah, and, and, and the way different nationalities view things and power distance and things like this, which I found so very interesting for the stereotypes. But of course, everybody's different. And there's a meld of different cultures that they come from. It's a fascinating yeah. area. Thank you for that. Resilience next. RQ is the, um, the third to the last. Um, yeah. how, how have you picked yourself up in times of difficulty and adversity when you've got things wrong and you've, it's all gone? You know, what's your tip on building yourself back up? Well, I think I think the starting point is that um, resilience uh, and, and a kind of adversity is relative, uh, right? And I think that's also what I've seen. So take it in in, in COVID that uh, you might think about your situation being a bit more challenging, but there's always people that have it way more challenging for different for different reasons. And I think that's a really important acknowledgement that people have challenge. Uh, more people uh, have more uh, see more adversity, um, and and therefore. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's different to cope with that. And I've also learned that people deal with it in their own way. And that's fine. So I think that has to be the starting point because when I talk about adversity, um, it's all relative. Uh, and I think that's that, that's important. Now, in terms of dealing dealing uh, with it uh, and dealing with, with changes in the situation, um, I'm pretty positive by nature. Um, and that, that helps. I tend to look at the glass half full. Uh, and, and I have a, test, a tendency to, to, to say kind of it is what it is. And, and we, we, we move on. And I think that's helping me uh, to, to get through, to get through a, a lot of things and, and try. And that's advice that I have given or have had multiple times. Um, try to focus on the things that you control that gives you maybe some tension but don't focus too much on the things you don't control because that gives you stress and I think that's I try to go by that uh, as much as much as I can but again I, it's all it's all relative um, right whether things happen in your personal life in your, in your professional life and and maybe my approach uh, that, that that has worked for me so far um, might run out of steam one one day who knows and I know it can also be quite annoying um, because I have this tendency kind of okay it is what it is uh, let's move on uh, and maybe sometimes earlier than others are ready to move on and uh, that sometimes leads to discussions also with my wife <laughs> very good one it is of course um, one of my my big loves is uh, philosophy and particularly the stoic philosophy and they have this fundamental belief which you've just alluded to control the controllables the things you can control and all you can control is your own thoughts and your own actions. You can't control your wife's thoughts or actions. And we've all tried mm -hmm. to do that with disastrous mm -hmm. consequences. The more I try and control and guide my wife, the more she does the opposite, exactly the opposite. So, uh, but also letting go of things that you have no control over, which often mm -hmm. between what is and acceptance of what is and, and what you hope it to be. And this is where mental health problems come in. People go... Mm -hmm it must be this way but it isn't and, yeah, and they can't yeah. accept that things are as they are and they, they've determined they yeah. must change it now that motivates many people to try and improve a situation that isn't the way they'd like it to be mm -hmm. but at the same time i think early uh, on non-judgment and non-attachment is is quite healthy i don't know what what yeah. thoughts come from that for you no, I, th I think i think it, i think it is it is it is fair again i, I keep uh, the starting point is always it it really depends on what situation you're, you're dealing with. And sometimes it's easier to be looking at the glass half full versus, uh, and, and this whole, having this whole notion of, of, of moving, moving on. Um, but, but I, th I think it helps, uh, it helps in a, in a, in a big way because what it does, it, it really also turns maybe the thinking into some doing. And I think that's important when you're doing, you get distracted as well. Uh, yeah. You can, if you move on, you feel you're making the progress that gives you the energy again. Um, so I tend to tend to think that that's a that's a that's a good thing. Uh, but I've also learned that that the notion of moving on uh, comes at different stages for different people. Yeah, and this this learning from situations takes me on to the next one, which is brand BQ brand reputation image and impact. You it's been your upbringing, brand marketing, and 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 different products and how you get those messages across. But if we talk about mm. your personal your your personal brand. What, what have you done recently around getting 360 feedback on how others perceive you? And what have you done by way of coaching over the years to continue to learn and grow and develop based on the 360 feedback you're getting? Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think there's a, a couple, couple of things. I, I tend to ask feedback uh, a lot. Um, and that's also, I think, a culture that we try to instill in the company uh, to just say it as it is, uh, good, good or bad, uh, and, and feedback 
not just kind of once or twice a year, but kind of ongoing. Uh, could be after a conversation, could be after a meeting. Um, so I think we have a tendency to really ask for how was this and, and what do you, what do you think? Um, so I think in, in that that whole that whole notion of, of asking for the feedback and, and 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 kind of receiving it is important. But that's more the informal uh, the informal part of it. I think also when it comes to feedback, it's also good to formalize it a bit uh, and and to do a full three sixty. Uh, sometimes done by a third party. Uh, I went just through that um, uh, just before just before Christmas. And it's fantastic uh, because people then um, are being interviewed, people in your team, your peers, uh, people you work with, uh, and it gives you a really good really good sense um, uh, on, on kind of where, where you are. Typically, no surprise uh, in terms of what people consider your strengths and also your opportunities, but it's it's a good it's always a good reminder. Um, I think people don't fundamentally change. But you can you can really work on the nuance, uh, and 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 I think that's that's important. And also, I, I take I take a lot out of that. And and what I tend to do is also then have the conversation um, with the people that have given the feedback to say, okay, hey, let me just clarify without trying to personalize the feedback, but just say, hey, this is what I've heard. Um, what about if I what about if I if I change the approach and start doing start doing this or that? Uh, I think that is. Um, that is that is something that I that I try to that I try to do, um, and some feedback you like more than other. Yeah, it's very good, but it's always a chance to learn and then take action, isn't it? Learning and action, I always find exactly. very useful exactly. in my own my own three sixty. Great. Yeah. Um, the final one before uh, is legacy. Then we'll talk about executive teams and a favorite book, and then your top tip. Um, legacy. <clears throat> You've already made that wonderful uh, statement about positive impact in everything I do, wishing to be your your legacy attached to what gives your life meaning and purpose. Uh, anything else you want to say about legacy, stewardship, looking after things, leaving things better than you found them, that you found is good advice that you were given that you'd pass on? Uh, I, th I think that, that that whole notion, and I, I go, go back, and that's also, uh, the uh, as they say in marketing, the power of the message is in the repeat. So therefore, I'm going to repeat uh, the whole notion of a positive impact in, in everything I do. That's what I strive for, whether I succeed, um, in, in doing that uh, all the time, most likely not, but at least that's what I'm striving for. But it's, it's just nice to think about the simple concept of what does positive impact in a situation mean? It could be in a job. And I mean, it always starts with, uh, in, in, in business, it's all about reaching the business objectives. There's no about, uh, doubt, uh, doubt about it. And, and I'm very keen uh, on that and, and very, um, very focused on delivering uh, on kind of objectives and targets that are being, uh, that are being set. But identifying what's impact and what's positive impact, um, or how can you have more positive impact, um, I think is a good question to ask. Uh, and, and we also tend to talk about uh, what does move the needle most. Uh, but typically, if you want to move the needle, um, you move the needle in a more positive, uh, in a more positive future. Uh, because that's that's one of the things that if you think about leadership and what we all try to do, I think in simple terms, it's just future-proofing future a business and, and the people in the business. Uh, and, and in order to get there, it is important to say what's the impact, uh, what will move the needle most, uh, and therefore what gives the biggest yield. Yeah, it's a really good point that you make. And that takes me on nicely about, you know, teams and making an impact. Uh, you've led many teams. You're leading many mm -hmm. teams now in different nations. Um, what has been um, your top tips that you'd give for creating a high-performing team and getting rid of toxicity, whether it be individuals' behavior or the way a team's gone a bit sour. Um, what, what tip would you give about turning a team around and making it high-performing from, from toxic? Yeah, I, I think the, the most likely two, two things. Um, 
and there's always an, there's a, in any team there's a dynamic whether you come into a team new and an already existing team or you're assembling a, a new team uh, there's always team dynamics and there will always be um, I think it's I think it's important that you clarify and confirm uh, with a team what are kind of the key principles uh, that you that you work against um, so it's more like how, how do you how do you work together uh, and, and and stick and stick to it um, and what one of the things that in, in one team we said uh, we challenge the professional not the individual uh, was one of the principles that that uh, that we applied. And I think it's important just sit again and say what is important in in the way in the way we work together. And I think it's important to say the 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 purpose of what you try to achieve as a team is always important more important than what an individual tries to achieve. Um, but it's just set some team principles. I think I found very uh, very uh, very useful. Um, and then also try to align um, that actually what you are striving for typically winning you can define in many different ways but if you have in the context of winning winning is always externally and i think that's important that that how can you make sure that you don't focus your effort on internals uh, there are internals there's process and systems and and all of that and collaboration across functions across regions uh, all of that is that is an internal but you have to define winning externally um, and if you if you do it that uh, then, then i think you also move the you move the needle from uh, kind of focused on internal to focus on, on external. I think that's really important. And within that, um, and we might come to that as well, but I think I'm a big believer in this whole notion of control your own destiny. Um, so we have, as a team, uh, whatever team it is, the team that I'm working um, and part of now and the teams I've worked with, there's always a notion to identify what are we trying to control? What is our destiny? And there's most likely much more that we control or can influence than, than, we, than we think. And as much as we think about that, as opposed to think about the things that we might not control, uh, I think gets us, gets us better. And I think it also drives accountability to just focus on what you control uh, and, and kind of in that sense also controlling your own destiny. Yeah, that, that reminds you of a book I'm listening to. I mean, I listen to a, a lot of audio books because I'm dyslexic, so my way of learning is, is listening. And one is about the 15 um, commitments of conscious leadership, which is quite an interesting book. And in it, one of the concepts is talking about that some people have an attitude of to me, things are done to me, I'm a victim, you know, it's not fair. Yeah. they're doing this wrong and they're doing that wrong, it's all being done to me. And a more mature stage is by me, that I can, things, mm -hmm. I, I, can like, I can make them happen. But at even more mature stage is through me, that actually, you know, this is a, almost right. like a life force working through me as the leader. It's not about me. It's about the difference I'm making to the team and the organization. And, and, and I quite like that, that concept. Does that resonate for mm -hmm. you at all? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Through me. Yeah. Yeah. Through me rather than to yeah. me. Yeah. Rather than to me. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, talking about reading or listening to audiobooks or podcasts or anything like that. What, what is uh, something you'd recommend that you've read or listened to recently that uh, you've enjoyed and, and, and why was that something you'd recommend to those listeners to this podcast? Well, what, one of the books that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reading at the moment, uh, and actually also a book that I've um, given uh, to my team, is a book that's called Net Positive. Um, you might have come across it by Paul Pullman and uh, Andrew Winston. Um, and it's really about the role of, of, of companies in society. So one of the questions is, is the, is the world better off with your company in it? Uh, or what instead of, uh, and therefore, what can you contribute uh, to, to the wider, wider society? I think it's a fascinating, a fascinating book uh, to, to, to read. Uh, I'm not through it uh, at the moment, but uh, I clearly will finish it. And, and uh, it triggers, triggers the mind. Uh, and, 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 and he was, nice, he was uh, on P&G, wasn't he? Where, where was he before? Unilever. Was he in Unilever? 
Both. Yeah, both. Yeah, PG and Unilever. Yeah. Well, he yeah. was he was he is a very inspiring leader, is he? Have you ever worked yeah. with him or for him? The I was in the business unit that he was leading at the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that must have did you find you learnt a lot from watching his behavior? Well, I think at that stage I was a bit more junior, uh, and in the, in the, uh, the uh, so, but, but, but clearly there was always a man. There was always an, an, a man with a mission, uh, and, and, and clearly shows, and, and uh, that that has been most likely a kind of a threat through his through his career. Uh, but then being able to just put it together in this way and actually reframing the question from companies uh, is is like the simple simple questions it makes you think, and ultimately that's what you want. And if you want to reflect on things and reflect on. In my in my case, how we can have more positive impact. I think it is a it is a, a really interesting book to read. Yeah, no, he he's had a, a huge positive impact on a number of people. Love to have him on this series. I think he's got so much to to give to to show many. And I'm I'm going to get the book and I'll be listening to that one. Um, thank you for that. Uh, net positive. Um, so, would you for our final two minute tip? Would you once again introduce yourself, who you are, the job you do, and what your firm does, and then give us your four points of your of your two minute top tip, please, Leonard? Hi everyone, my name is Leonard Den Hollander. I'm vice president and general manager for Northern Europe at Coca Cola Europe Pacific Partners. What do we do at Coca Cola Europe Pacific Partners? We make and we move and we sell a great portfolio of drinks, typically soft drinks. Uh, so wherever you would uh, like uh, to buy a drink, uh, we would like to make sure that we offer you the choice uh, of our of our drinks. Uh, that's that's uh, what I tend to do, um, and that's what we do with with so many people across uh, across our company. Um, in terms of the um, top tip, um, always difficult to say is it the top tip because you will you will uh, define whether it's top or not. But um, there's there's I ask myself um, not so much a question, but there's the kind of I go by what I tend to call the four C's uh, when I think about. Uh, when I think about leadership. And um, I will now remember those four C's, obviously. Uh, the one is around curiosity and, and asking why. And, and, and just keep this notion of, of trying to learn more. Be open, be open to learn. Uh, the second one is around to challenge the status quo uh, and, and kind of also stereotypes. Uh, there's many stereotypes uh, that, that we have to challenge, also in the context of, of, uh, of IND. Uh, but being an, being able to challenge the status quo uh, proactively and also stereotypes, I think, is is very important. The third is around um, the controlling the, controlling your own destiny as much as you can. Uh, obviously, life throws many things at us uh, that we can't really influence, but there's quite a few things that we do influence, and therefore control uh, your own destiny would my being my third C. And it means that there's a fourth C, and that's more kind of the approach to leadership. Uh, and for me, that's all around uh, being confident yet humble. So there you go, uh, Jonathan. Those are great. Well, look, thank you very much uh, for being on the Inspiring Leadership podcast. I found it, as I knew it would be, very inspiring. And I know a lot of other people will take away much from your advice and your stories and your life experience. So a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. 
It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.